John chapter 15, let's turn there briefly if we can. Tonight we're going to talk just for a few moments about the benefits of having a soul-winning church and being a soul-winning person. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to pastor one church, I want it to be a soul-winning church because I think that's what God wants. He wants his church to tell people about Jesus. I love to get together with God's people. I love to sing songs. I love to slap each other in the back and rejoice with the good things that God's doing and to praise him. But quite frankly, the real reason we meet is because there's a need outside of this building. And people outside this building and around the world need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be concerned with soul winning. Every once in a while, someone says, Pastor, there's more in the Bible than just soul winning. I know. But you'll never learn what's in the Bible about uh, anything else if you're not learning about soul winning. Because they that be wise shall shine the brightness of the firmament. They that turn men to righteousness, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. Wise is really, it's seeing, God's, it's seeing life through God's lenses. It's saying, Lord, show me what this world looks like in the way you look at it. It's, it's operating not according to your feelings or your desires or your comfort zone, but it's saying, Lord, how do you want me to handle this? When you go through problems, you definitely need wisdom. The very verse, James 1, 5, if any man lack wisdom, let him. You know, that verse falls right smack in the middle of problems. The verse is right in front of it. Count it all joy when you fall into divers trials, difficulties, temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith work of patience. So in difficult times, you need to pray. And you need to ask God for wisdom and persevere through the problems. But quite frankly, one of the wisest things we can do in getting wisdom and practicing wise living is to get the gospel to somebody and uh, share the gospel of Christ. John chapter 15, Jesus in um, John chapter 13 uh, through 16, he is just with his disciples. Judas is exited to go and uh, to negotiate the uh, selling price to, to betray Jesus. He's left, and uh, now he's telling them he's going to die. And that's where he said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also. He looked into their eyeballs. He saw men who were stricken with fear and were troubled. Because he told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be lifted up. That wasn't be, oh, he's going to be lifted up. Everybody's going to look to him. No. He said, I'm going to be crucified. And they did not like it. It bothered them. He says, listen, don't be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And he tells them about in his father's house are many mansions. He begins to tell them that there's going to be an exchange. Jesus is going to go up, but his spirit is going to come down. And he said, when the spirit of God comes in chapter 14, he'll be with you forever. And then in chapter 15, he speaks of him being the vine and we're the branches. And the only way we can be successful is if we're attached to him. If we're getting our nourishment and our direction from him. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you abide not in the vine, then you'll be cast forth and, and good for nothing. And uh, we need to abide in him. He abides in us. And by the way, you can be saved and not abide with the Lord. Learning, let him live through you and loving him and him loving you and walking with him is a crucial part of fruitfulness because you'll never be fruitful. You can't take a tree, a limb off of, of apple tree and cut it off and put it over, lay it on the ground and expect it to be fruitful. It will not be. It must be attached to the vine. And in much of chapter 15, he's speaking about fruitfulness. 
And that has to do with getting other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fruit of a Christian is not love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and long-suffering. It's not, that's not the fruit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. That's when God touches you to bring someone else the gospel of Christ. And the key to being fruitful is to being faithful to get the gospel out. The gospel will stand by itself. I, I was speaking yesterday, and boy, what a great crowd of people came to the Saturday soul winning meeting. But one thing I, I shared yesterday in the soul winning meeting is that you don't have to manipulate the gospel. You don't have to do a trick to get people saved. The gospel will stand by itself. It will stand myself. Now, it doesn't mean everyone you're going to witness a man. I went through all the gospel with him yesterday. His name was Aaron. He's a, he's a fire, he works for the fire department of the city of Chicago. And the Lord let me give it. I went through the entire gospel. And he said, I said, can I show you this verse? He said, yes. He said, um, and I said, listen, would you believe if Jesus would be willing to accept your sin, would you be willing to accept his gift? And he said, I'm sorry, pastor, but I need to go right now. And boy, I was heart. I was heartbroken. I thought, oh, no, Aaron, you want to get saved. That's what I wanted to say. The truth of the matter is, I could have said, no, Aaron, I'm going to walk you out the car. I'm going to make sure we got to pray right now. But the truth of the matter is, he doesn't need any tricks. It just needs you to give the gospel and trust the Holy Spirit to work. I believe Aaron's probably going to get saved. He was under conviction. I believe, and when I ask him, are you a sinner? He goes, well, I know I'm a sinner. Do you believe that sinners deserve to go to hell? He goes, yeah, yeah I know. Do you believe that Jesus died? He was buried and rose again. Yes, I believe that. I said, would you be willing to accept his gift? And he says, you know, Pastor, i got to go. And he left. My heart was broken, but I also thought to myself, there have been times in my life where I would have tried to manipulate that process. I wanted to plead with him more, and there's nothing wrong with pleading and encouraging people. But don't think you have to trick anybody into getting the gospel. The gospel, it's the power of God. Unto salvation. I wished I could tell you, oh, Aaron got saved, and boy, he, this, he didn't yet. And it's not my job. Sometimes you just do a better job planting and watering. And God brings the increase in another situation. I think every time I've ever led anyone to Christ, and quite frankly, I think almost every time anyone gets saved, they're not the only factor. Somebody else has been involved. God has sent someone else to plant, to water, to work that field. That heart, that soil, there's been, there's been a dream. There's been a, a mother, a grandmother. Someone's been praying for them. Somebody's been working that field. Years ago, I led a man to the Lord and come to find out that that guy had some, a friend of his 400 miles away praying for him on a regular basis. It wasn't just me. I just walked into a field that was already ready. I, I went to a plant that God is already ready to do. But being a soul-winning person is very important. Let's look at verse 8. Can we look at it? John 15, verse number 8. The Bible says, Herein, this is how my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. First of all, I think soul-winning brings glory to God. He said, here's how, that when, we're, when, when we care about the lost, when we care about souls being saved, it brings glory to God. Number two, it really is a proof of your discipleship. Are you a disciplined follower of Christ? If you are, you'll be concerned about souls. Jesus was concerned about souls. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if I'm a disciplined follower of Jesus, which is what the disciple is, then I'll be concerned about the same thing. When someone says, I know you care about a soul winning. They say that to you. Listen, that's not a bad thing to care about. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. 
to be testified in due time. He came to seek and to save. That was lost. And so that should be on the heart of everyone who is close to Jesus. He said, first of all, soul winning, it glorifies God. And glory, glory to God, in my opinion, is giving others a good opinion of Jesus. It's why we want to be a good Christian, a good husband, a good wife, a good housekeeper. Why? Because you're giving others a good opinion of Christ. That's why you want to keep your car clean, if at all possible. Keep clean your car, clean your room. Why? Because if an unsaved person saw that, they get a good or a bad opinion. That's why you want to pay your bills on time. If you can't pay your bills, then contact your creditor and say, listen, I've got an issue. Here's what I can give you today. I'll do my best to get together, together later. But do what you're supposed to do. That's why you want to behave yourself. Why? Because you're going to give others a good or a negative opinion of Christ. It's when you're someone you're driving and you don't like the way someone's driving in front of you or behind you. Learning to keep your temper in check. You can give them a peace of mind. You, you can't really afford to give up if you want to. But you may do it at the expense of, of hurting that person. You know, and for, certainly if you're going to you know, fight with them, don't do that as long as you've got 90.5 the key on the back of your bumper there. Right, Brother Jody? Yeah. Someone's got to help Brother Jody with that. So, no, I'm just joking. Certainly. We want to make a good opinion of the Lord. He said, when we're soul winners, here's how my Father's glorified. And this also is a proof of discipleship. Verse number 9, would you look at verse number 9? The Bible tells us, that As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. He said one of the ways it's that you, we continue in the love of Christ and to know that we have a love relationship going with God the Father, God the Son, is by seeking the lost. Number 10, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We see the word, what's the theme you see in verses 9 and 10? Anybody give me a one word theme? Love. Verse 11, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might be in, remain in you and that your joy might be full. I think soul winning people and soul winning churches abound with love. They glorify God. They have disciple, disciplined people in them because it's no fun to go soul winning. And by the way, let me just say to you, every once in a while, someone will say, Pastor, I want to go soul winning with you. The truth of the matter is, I should be going soul winning all the time. I should always be on soul patrol, always looking for someone. God, who do you want me to talk to today? I thank God for soul winning times, and I, I appreciate yesterday. I, I, I got a chance to be in some places I wouldn't normally go had I not had that soul winning time and to go out and talk to people particularly. But quite frankly, I should be a soul winner, and you should be a soul winner wherever you go. Wherever you go, had the opportunity this week, and I told some soul winners yesterday, I, my, our son Coleman and I, he was up here, and we, we landed there in, uh, in Midway about 7 o'clock on, uh, on Wednesday morning, or, and uh, 7.30, I think. I had a, there was a man who was in my same line in the boarding group, and he was supposed to be in, in the C boarding group. He got an A, and they, the lady said, no, man, no, sir, you don't board until C-17. And so he goes, oh, okay. Down. I saw him. I thought, well, Lord, I pray that you'll help me have a chance to talk to him. And it just it came to my heart. I thought, I, hate, I feel bad he had to be bumped out of line. And maybe I could sit with him on the plane. Well, I didn't sit with him on the plane. However, when I landed, I was, I was there on the, on the curb waiting for Brother Vargo to pick me up. And I saw him kind of looking around. I said, hey, can I help you? He said, I'm looking for the place where the Ubers or the Lyfts would be doing. And I, I wasn't real familiar with that, but I think it's down here. I went and asked the grumpy old guard at the front there, and he 
Go down there. I said, okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the smile and the service, you know. And so went over there, and I said, it looks like it's down there. I said, but where are you going? He said, I'm going to 48th and Maple. And he showed me the address. I said, you know, it's not very far away. It's, and, I, and I put it on my GPS. It was 4.3 miles away from Midway. I said, you know what, let me just take you. Do you mind if I just take you over there? He said, I'd be glad to do that. I said, wow, that's good. We're glad. I'm glad you could come. I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Nana. I said, Nana? I said, you're from Africa, aren't you? He goes, yes, I am. I said, what country? He said, Ghana. I said, Ghana? That is great, Nana. He said, why are you happy? I said, I've been to Ghana four times. I said, he said, where'd you go? He goes, I, I went to Kumasi. He goes, that's where I was born. I said, I've been to the place where you were born. <laughs> and, I, and I started talking to him about it. And uh, he, lives in, he lives in Franklinton, North Carolina. And he began to, begin to, we began to talk, and Brother Vargo pulled up when he got in the car. And, and uh, he got his, he's got his doctor's degree, his PhD, from Kansas State University. And he and his wife, Hilda, and little Janet live in, in North Carolina. As I began to talk to him, I asked him, I said, well, do you know for sure when life's over you go to heaven? He said, I think I would. I said, how do you know? Well, when I was 16, I went to a revival meeting, and I was born again. I said, wonderful. I said, um, is that all that needs to happen to get saved? He goes, no, no, you've got to stay close to God, and you've got to be good. And uh, well, I'm, I'm working my salvation. I want to keep working toward my salvation. I want God to accept me one day. Well, that's not a good answer. If you think that was a good answer, could you see me after the service so we can talk? I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's just, we just got about four, four miles to go, but let me just quote some verses. You're familiar with the Bible. He goes, oh, a little bit. And I said, okay, let's quote these verses. And I begin to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Nana, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And I said to Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, and the Bible says that it's not by works of right, righteousness, right things that we've done but it's according to his mercy he saved us. The Bible tells us that in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift has to be free. It has to be accepted. It's eternal life. It's God's gift. It is eternal life through Jesus Christ, not through the church, not through your works or my works. I quoted about maybe four or five other verses. I think Brother Vargo and Coleman could attest we went through that. I said, well, what do you think about those verses? He said, I think I need a revival in my heart. <laughs> I don't think it's an accident. I'm not in an Uber. I'm in a pastor's car. <laughs> he said, oh, he goes, I, I don't, my heart really burned while you told me those verses. I don't think I understand salvation. And, uh, but we were there at his place, and he said, Pastor, would you please pray for me? We prayed together, and we prayed and got out, and I've been communicating back and forth with Nana. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, that is just, that's soul winning. That's soul winning in the way. You know, so many things, Jesus, I don't know that he said, I'm just going to go door, knock these doors. Nothing wrong with that. But I think he just, where he went, witnessing in the way, talking to people that God brought to him. I think if we'll pray for that, God brings divine appointments so sweetly to us. When we ask God for opportunities, are you taking advantage of opportunities? Really, it demonstrates our discipleship. It demonstrates our love. It demonstrates our, our desire to glorify the Father. 
And then also, he tells us in the context of this, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I think there's something about soul-winning people, that God gives them extra joy. And as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let's continue on. Let's look at this. If we can, please, verse number 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another, even as I have loved you. Verse 13, read it out loud with me. Greater love hath no man than this. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. Henceforth, I, do, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. He says, you know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get people to the gospel. And, uh, but I have called you friends for all things I've heard from my father. I've given, I have made known unto you. And then verse 16, for you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. He's ordered that you should bring forth fruit and that your fruit should, that whatsoever you shall ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. One of the things that God's chosen you to do after you're saved, I don't think this is talking about salvation as much as it's talking about uh, service. He said, I, I've chosen you, I've ordained you, I've ordered you that you would be fruitful as a child of God, and that the fruit that you have would remain faithful. You know, all of us are a result of someone whose fruit remained. And we ought to be burdened about that. Don't be satisfied just to win the loss. Keep saying, God, who could you give me that would continue on? Now, it's not easy to win a soul, but it's easier to win a soul than it is to raise a soul for the Lord. It's easier to have a baby than it is to raise a baby. And all of us ought to be burdened with say, God, make me fruitful in my pursuit. That's the pastor's scripture. Let me just share with you a couple thoughts, things I love about a soul-winning church. Number one, in review, the blessings is that it gives an unexplainable help and assistance to the community abroad. As I said last week, I think Hammond is blessed because 135 years ago, a soul winner started this church. I think Hammond is blessed because pastors through the years have kept soul winning a priority in this ministry. And it gives unexplainable blessings to the community around it. Now, the, the world won't think that. They think it's a plague. But God, I think, gives blessings to a community where there's soul winning people there. Number two, I want you to notice this. It's a place where the ripest Christian best grows. When someone wants to grow, I think they grow best in a place where they can hear it and do it. I think it's a, it's a soul-winning thing. We ought to just hear what we need to do and then go put it into practice. Soul-winning is God's purpose. Number three, it's a place where the deepest love for Christ and God's people grow. I, I mentioned to you last week, and I just remind you about that, Brother Rick Martin. His goal when he went to the Philippines with Miss Becky was not to have a huge church. His initial goal was to train 35 soul-winners. Is that my goal was to try to win people and then train 35 of them to be soul winners. Here's what he says. Because soul winners are always the best workers. People who are after souls will be good nursery workers. They'll be good ushers. They'll be good choir members. They'll do any. Soul winners will do any kind of work. For the Lord, no matter how menial or how, how prestigious, they'll just do it. Now, there are people who will just be an usher. There are people who will just punch a button or run a camera. They won't be a soul winner, but they'll thank God for those people. There are people who will play an instrument, but they have no interest in being a soul winner. 
There are people that will go to choir practice and they'll sing songs and that's what they do for the Lord and they don't do anymore. They won't, they won't cross the street to give out a gospel track, but they'll sing for the Christmas program. And I thank God for them. But let me just tell you, the best people that serve Christ are people that are soul winners first and then they'll do what God wants them to do. It's a place where the deepest love for Christ grows. I find another place, a soul winning church, is a place where the purest motives thrive. I do believe that the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider one another to provoke each other for two things, for love and good works. What we do, that's good works. Why we do it, that should be love. The purest motives for serving Christ is not a pat in the back or a kick in the pants. It's really a devoted love for Jesus. When someone really loves Jesus, it's where the purest motives grow. And I'm just telling you, soul winning churches are not the easiest churches to be in. But they are a place where I think the purest motives people have. I'm not talking about, and all of us have different motives. I hope your motives are pure. One of the things I oftentimes pray that God help my motive to be pure. I was speaking recently at a particular venue and, and uh, I was honored to speak there. There's no place in the world I want to speak. I don't have any aspirations. God is my witness. To, I don't have any place where I say, oh, I want to speak at this place. I don't. I like being with you and this is my, this is my choice would be just to stay here all the time. I ask God for wisdom every time I'm asked to go somewhere and rarely ever, I usually give at least 24 hours before I will get back to someone if they ask me to to speak there because I want to make sure it's what God wants. And I don't know that a year in advance. I don't know that six months in advance. But I have no interest to be anywhere else. But I was in a particular place and I remember going to the Lord. I I was on my knees and said, Dear Lord, I want to be used of you and I know you can't use me if my motives are not pure. I'm going to preach in a few moments, but I am not going to preach to impress anyone but you. And if you have to embarrass me publicly in front of all my friends, or in front of the people there, or on a live stream, if I have to get embarrassed for you to use me, I would rather be embarrassed by doing something dumb. I don't want to hurt you, but I'd rather be embarrassed than to get up there and try to magnify me. Or let me be the focus there. Those are some of the most miserable memories of my life is when I've I've had a wrong motive. Nothing quite having a wrong motive that really ends up in a, and puts you on your ear real fast. But I think a soul winning church is a place where the, where the purest motives really thrive. That whenever you see someone saved, when you see their lives change, when that's what you want, you're wanting what God wants. He's getting glorified. You're a disciple of Jesus. Love is multiplied there. Joy is an outcome. And there's where the motives can be very sweetly Align with the Lord's. I'll give you two more thoughts and we'll conclude tonight. The next thing I love about a, about a soul winning church is to where excitement abounds. I love being a part of a soul winning church because you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to come in. You never know what's going on. It just excites me to see people get baptized. It excites me to see the Christian boy, lady today, she got two folks, and both of them got saved and got baptized. And what I remember, they're coming to the visitor, welcome, and they just, one of them just said, this might be the happiest day of my life. <laughs> and I said, I, I should remind myself what it was like when I got baptized, how happy I was. You know, and people, people just telling me about what, what God's doing. It's a place for excitement. When people get saved, there's two people excited. There's lots of people excited. There's excitement in heaven, the Bible says. There's excitement, no doubt, in the heart of God, in the heart of his son, Jesus, 
in the Holy Spirit. There's excitement in the, the life of someone saved. There's excitement in the person that got to be there when it happened and to share the gospel. I find also it's a wonderful place where the youngest, um, it's a place where the young hear most easily God's call uh, to salvation and surrender. It's in a soul-winning church that people most quickly young hear the call of God for salvation and surrender. I want to thank God for all those young parents that brought your kids tonight. I see the Boyces and the Thompsons and the Ruthvens over here. And you got these little kids, and Brother Perez, are sitting on their laps, and these four-year-olds come to the church. I, I got saved on a Sunday night. I heard so many junior church messages, Sunday morning messages, Sunday schools. I didn't pay, I, none, of, none of those did it for me. It was a Sunday night. Don't remember who the preacher was or all that he said. I just knew that my heart was convicted. I went on home, and that night God many dealt with me. I knew I needed to be saved and woke my parents up sometime between 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, telling them I need to get saved. And they turned the light on and got a Bible open and explained the gospel to me. But my heart was convicted on a Sunday night. Thank God for moms and dads who get their kids hearing the word of God. Get them here on Wednesday night. Get them here. Where every time they can go to a place where the God's, because a soul winning church is a place where the young most quickly hear the calls of salvation and the calls of surrender. And I find it's the greatest place. A soul winning church is great because it's where a whole army of leaders, spiritual leaders, are fostered. One of the things that I grieve in my heart and mind is many churches who go away from soul winning. And they go into a quote-unquote progressive movement where now they just kind of come as you are and leave as you came and Throw away standards. You don't need that. You can just do whatever you want to do. Just live in the grace of God. And they get loosey-goosey. And they go from three services a week to one big celebration service where all of them come. And boy, I'm just telling you what, I don't think uh, kids are not going to flourish in that kind of environment. Families are not going to grow spiritually in that kind of I would not, and you won't either. But I'll tell you one thing that really messes them up. Some of those adults, they might make it, but I'm telling you, the, the next generation's leaders will not be fostered in a church like that. They're going to be fostered in a church that's soul-winning and holy in their standards and there's righteousness. That's where the young, and that's where the next leaders are going to come from. I talked to, heard this not too long ago, and it's one of those, it's one of those churches, and a good, good man, and I'm going, to, I'm going to spend eternity with him, but he's just changed. He went from what, what uh, I believe was a soul-winning church to just kind of a feel-good church with the praise band and the rock music and the psychedelic lights and all the stuff that goes on with that stuff, trying to attract an unsaved world with wrong motives, wrong methods. But what he wants now, he, the particular brother who used to be very fervently turning out leaders now he can't get leaders from his own church. He can't get people to go to the mission field. And so instead of doing that, he'll just he'll put on his Facebook or on his, on his, on his social media, uh, trying to help wounded fundamentalists come out of the bondage of fundamentalism. I delight in breaking the chains of people who are from soul-winning fundamental churches. Trying to find discontented people, taking them in and trying to help them 
do what God wanted them to do within their own church family. I'm not here to say one's right, one's wrong. I'm just telling you this. Soul winning churches are the greatest basket of places where the God gets his most vibrant leaders. In a place where souls are being saved and lives are being changed right on your under nose, that's where God is going to be surfacing. By the way, that's why we ought to win and disciple people. It's from discipled people that God gets his next preachers, missionaries, servants of Christ. Once you determine, God, I want First Baptist Church to be a soul-winning church because I go there. What kind of church would our church be if every member were just like me? How many souls would be saved today if it all depended upon what I say? How many missionaries would go to the field if it all depended on what I yield? If I continue, what kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? Once you say, God, would you please stir in my heart the ambers of soul winning? I'll be faithful to Christ. Young people in the college, some of you, you've been here a while and you're having a hard time soul winning. Winning people to Christ, once you make that a burden in your heart, God, please make me a soul winner. God, give me fruit that remains. Talk to one of our Sunday school teachers today. Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm working. I've been able to lead some people to Christ, but I, my, my Sunday school class is not growing like I know God wants it. And I'm, gonna, I'm not satisfied until I get what, what God wants from me. He's got to teach me some things about helping the Sunday school class grow. Teach me some things. Never be satisfied. What, is, what did Brother Spear tell us? Three things that, is, that a teacher, a good teacher, is a good learner, a good listener, always ready. These are some things I think we can apply to our hearts and lives. Tonight, before we close and go to the invitation, could I just encourage you, why don't you pray about your soul-winning heart? Say, God, please use me. Help me to bring joy and love and discipleship and glory to you. Help me, Lord, to have, have this fruit that remains. I think it's much more a passion than it is a method. You say, well, I want to do like this. I want to learn this. I to always be learning. But I'm telling you, friend, just like Rachel said, God, give me children lest I die. Let me be a fruitful Christian.